Welcome to The Craft, a podcast that shares stories about writing and the writer's spirit. I'm your host, Sumaya Osmani, an author who found belonging from the courtroom to the craft. Join me as I navigate this craft of writing with chats on practical challenges and nurturing the creative spirit. This is The Craft. So today we're joined by author and therapist Isra Nasser from New York, and we're going to talk a little bit about creativity and community and what it means to actually create alone and how it can be quite different working with community. So welcome to the show, Isra. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for being here. And, you know, I'm really excited about this topic because I'm a big believer of uh, creativity and community together and how one can really thrive as a creative. But, you know, before we go into the topic, I'd love to know a little bit about you, um, how you came to do what you do and where you are. Yeah, so I am originally Pakistani and I grew up in the Middle East and then moved to Toronto in my early teens where I studied and I became a therapist. I practiced there for about five years and then moved to New York City, where I am right now. Uh, And I've been here for about six years working as a therapist, but also predominantly working in in the digital health space. So my day job, if you will, is working in the mental health startup field. And Alongside that, to kind of tap into my own creativity, which we'll talk about later on as well, I started creating digital content on Instagram about mental health and finding more interesting ways to share like mental health concepts and techniques and tools that have been gatekept behind therapy and the doors of therapy for a really long time. But I truly believe that, you know, if we can kind of open access to a lot of basic emotional skills, then people can feel more empowered in their emotions in general, which, you know, increases the quality of your life. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I love that you do. And I, I something that I really love about all your creative content online is that it isn't one dimensional. It's very multidimensional with obviously mindset, but also emotional strength and, uh, you know, focusing on a lot of people's ideas of uh, holding some themselves back. And I really love that you create this content because I think it gives such a softer side of therapy, something that a lot of people don't talk about. So I'd love to know a little bit about your own childhood. Like obviously you said you, you've got Pakistani roots and you grew up in the Middle East and also in Canada. But growing up, was creativity something that was encouraged in your home? I think my parents were a little split um, <laughs> on that. And I remember like my dad really encouraged my reading and my writing. So my creative skills were the written, like the written word. So I would like write these like limericks and poems and short stories. And I was very interested in that. And my dad really encouraged it. I think my mom lagged a little behind because she really wanted me to focus on like math and science and learning those very hard, you know, um, quote, more practical things, as she likes to say. 
And I saw that with my brother too. He was a visually creative person. So he was interested in fashion and drawing. And, you know, he would make these like elaborate bristle board presentations with like glitter and art. And my dad supported that where my mom, again, wanted to kind of steer him towards like the math and the science and was really more focused on that. Um, So like early years, I would say my parents were a little split and we still had the opportunity to do it, right? We still engaged with it. um, But it's something that I don't know if I would actually, you know, not that I think about it. I was going to say, I don't know if I would call my home a creative home, but then my mom was a classical singer and we would have all these like, you know, parties where there would be the sitar and tabla and she would be singing and we took lessons. So I guess like I've never really considered myself a creative person, but now that I think about it, it was there, but it wasn't something that was the forefront, I would say. It was always something you did on the side. Yeah. And I think that, you know, it's interesting you say that because music is, you know, I think one of the most creative, creative crafts out there. And in a lot of, I feel a lot of Asian homes, music is actually a really big deal. I mean, especially things like classical music and classical Indian Pakistani music. It's, it's such a big part. And we don't really think of it as a creative force in our lives because it's such a part of our culture. And, uh, and I think that it is actually very creative because it opens your mind up so much. And so in a way, maybe that gives you inspiration to think outside the box. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Yeah. Uh, So I just I always feel that because growing up myself in Pakistan, you know, we always had like musical evenings. And, you know, my dad always had like Western classical music on. And I think that, you know, to this day, when I try to like tap into my creativity, I do listen to music. And I think it's because music is so ultimately from my childhood been, you know, something that we all kind of go to to do to to access your mind in a different way. Yeah, I mean, I listen to music. (laughs) all the time like I wake up I turn on my sonos and starts playing and it's honestly till the end of the day yep (laughs) same here (laughs) so you know one of the questions I get asked a lot because like I have this one day a week where I mean obviously I do creative work generally but I do keep one day a week like a Friday where I is my creative day and I write about it a lot like on Instagram and also to my newsletter people and I always say you know Friday is my creative day and this is when I do x y and z and I always get asked what is a creative day and you know what does it mean to be creative. I mean, I'm not an artist. I'm not a painter. I'm not a writer. How am I creative? And is it something that's like exclusively for those who have an artistic streak or talent or is creativity for everybody? And why is it so? I think our like popular notions of creativity is that, you know, you are working within a very specific medium. So you are like a painter or a sculptor, you write poetry, or, you know, you are a photographer, filmmaker, right? Like those are the very narrow definitions of what it means to be creative is Mm -hmm. kind of widely accepted in our society. But sometimes I think about it and I look at people who are very well dressed every single day right? It requires a sense of creativity to put together an outfit um, that tells a story. But Mm -hmm. we don't think about people who are just regularly well-dressed as creative people. So I think for me, um, what creativity just means being able to imagine what is not yet real, 
Mm-hmm. And so whether that is a conversation, whether it's a story, whether it's an outfit, whether it's visual art, you are able to envision something in your mind that is not real right now. And then you're able to manifest it physically in some way or form. And I think that can kind of cut through everything. You can be a creative problem solver, even in the finance sector, right? And the finance sector is not really seen as creative, but you can bring creativity to the way you solve a problem or the way you structure a relationship with a client, right? Yeah. And to me, however, when I think about like creativity as self-care, right? Creativity as engaging with parts of yourself. I almost see creativity as an antidote to the hustle, toxic productivity culture that we are in. So anything that is done to the end of just for the sake of doing it without without a productivity marker, without something that will give you a tangible outcome that you can then use to, to kind of um, measure how productive mm-hmm. or progress was made. I feel like I'm leaning towards that a little bit more recently, maybe because of like kind of where I'm at in my own life, right? So yeah. to me, like tapping into creativity is engaging with something for the sake of engaging with it. Yeah. Engaging with uh, like an activity or an experience for the just the joy of it. Just to be in that present moment and be engaged with all of your senses and really just be in the here and now and doing something, right? So, and I'll give you like an example. So I read a lot. I really enjoy reading. And that is, you know, you could say that reading is a creative activity, Mm -hmm. right? But then I started reading with the sense of productivity, Right. I was like, I got to read like one book a month. I want to read more self-help or personal growth type of books. And then it stopped giving me the joy and Mm -hmm. the nourishment that a creative, like a creative endeavor does. Right. So you can actually transform a creative activity into something non-creative just by putting a structural purpose on it. And that can kind of make you feel a little disconnected. Absolutely. And, you know, this is a very important thing that you've just said, because I think that for me, uh, being a writer is it, you know, writing is too, is, is a craft and it's a creative exercise and a practice. And, and it can be so easy to dull those lines between productivity and it being a job and being a profession as opposed to being a creative act, uh, something that gives me nourishment and helps me grow and think outside the box. And sometimes I feel, that it's that very, the minute that I start to think of my writing as a chore or something that I have to do, it just loses its joy. And I can't even do it. I can't even tap into inspiration. It becomes that difficult yeah. for me to do it. And, and you know, I was recently reading um, Seth Godin's book, The Practice, um, Shipping Creative Work. And I don't know if you've read it yet, but I thought it was absolutely brilliant because he says that, you know, creative acts or the practice, you should just do it for the practice 
practice and not because you want to, um, you know, that you have to get money out of it or you that you have to get some kind of productivity out of it. Exactly this. And it's like, even if you touch one person with the creative act, you've, you've shipped it. You've actually shared it. And really it should be done for that act and not for the bigger thing that we so, you know, we put such burdens on ourselves for creating. And I, I really love that. And I really love something else that you said that was, you know, create, creativity is really everybody's, everybody's birthright, really. And, and again, quoting another book that recently I've been reading that I don't know if you've read too, but you should. And I think you'd love it is the creative act by Rick, um, Rubin. And he said something that totally like threw me because I've always thought, you know, when people ask me this question about creativity, like, you know, it's, I'm not creative. How can you say that? And it's one thing that he says is that creativity is not like a rare ability and it's not really difficult to access. It's basically a fundamental aspect of being a human. I mean, every single thing, like you said, every, like anybody going to an office and working in finance, it, it's just about coming up with something, doing something in a daily basis in which you do something and you think outside the box or you engage in some kind of an act every day. Um, and it's not obviously just art. Yeah. So I think that's where people get confused the most is they think that in order to be a creative, you have to be an artist. Mm -hmm. so you need to have like the structure of a set of skills, right? So when someone is a singer and they're a gifted singer, like that is a structure of skills that they have that helps them refine and, you know, express their emotions through song. But you can be creative and not be an artist. And that's okay. And that's, that's like, and like, that's how everyone can be creative. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm going to, you know, one of the things with create, creating anything is that it's a singular lonely act of you sitting with, you know, a pen and paper or a brush or in an office trying to come up with a solution. Uh, you know, how, like, what does it mean to create alone? And what is like, psychologically, what is a person? I mean, we all know what most people go through, but there's a lot going on in the personal headspace when someone's creating alone. So can you sort of maybe share a little bit of insight what really happens when a person is creating alone? When we create alone, there's two things that happen, right? Like just by virtue of being on your own, you're able to have the moment to have introspection. And so you're able to look inwards and reflect and really be with yourself, which is something that then feeds into your creativity. You're able to process your thoughts, your emotions, whatever it is that you're trying to convey through your creativity or work through will happen when you're on your own because you're able to look inside. So that's like the positive, right? It gives you self-awareness. You know, creating on your own improves resilience. It can help you really self-soothe a difficult or intense emotion. And that's all really great. Mm -hmm. But on the flip side, when we are alone, we are also confronted with our with our own self, the things that are critical, the things that are harsh, or, you know, what people kind of refer to as their demons. Quotes. Mm -hmm. So, and what that can look like is a lot of negative self-talk, a lot of self-directed criticism, a lot of this is not good enough, or I'm not good enough by proxy of my work not being good enough. And we can also engage with some harmful, you know, emotional habits such as 
comparing ourselves to other people, really putting ourselves down, things you would never say to a friend, you will Mm -hmm. say to yourself when you're on your own. And this is a, I think this is a challenge that everybody has. We have this idea that, you know, if you are emotionally stable and you have high self-esteem, then these are things that you don't struggle with. That's false. Everybody Mm -hmm. struggles with this kind of stuff. The people who have a little bit more, you know, emotional resilience are not overwhelmed by the the criticism or the self-doubt and all of that stuff. But this is something that everybody experiences. And especially as a creator, when you're doing work on your own, which you primarily are, Mm -hmm. you know, it can be something as complicated as, you know, making a sculpture or making a painting to something fairly simple, which is kind of what I do, which is, you know, Instagram infographics. You're still kind of working on your own. So there's also no feedback loop. Right. And that's something I think you might experience as a writer. I'm in the process of editing my manuscript in its third version. Mm -hmm. And the feedback loop is like months long, right? I'll write, write, write. I'll write chapters. And three months later, I'll send it to my editors. And then I get my feedback a month after that. So you're kind of just in your head. And when you're in your head and you're anxious, then your, quote, demons can really come out to play. And so it can be very emotionally taxing. And And so I think in that way, creating alone is the the way most people work and it has a lot of benefits. But as we navigate this journey of being a creator, I think getting to know yourself, getting to know your patterns, accepting the things that come up for you is really important. And I think that's why sometimes creatives or creators can have a lot of insight about themselves. You know, you learn your patterns. And I think that's the most important thing that we can know about ourselves as humans. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I think this kind of brings me to the point that, yeah, I mean, there's all these challenges of creating alone, and yet we do have to do the act of it alone, no matter what. However, there is this um, idea of working in community. And, you know, something I find quite interesting is that, uh, you know, as a writer, so many writers obviously write alone. However, more and more writers, they come to a stage where they really crave connection because, you know, there are very singularly typical issues that writers go through. And I think every writer, no matter what stage of their journey they're on, go through similar issues. And it's sometimes, you know, you write like want to seek camaraderie in those issues. And with that comes the concept of working in community, no matter what your creative act is. What are your thoughts on that? And what would you recommend to people seeking community as a creative? I think community is one of the most powerful things that we have as human beings because it gives us a sense of belonging, it validates our challenges, and it gives us a place to kind of celebrate ourselves. I think like creating in community, you have to kind of be ready to be connected to a community. Like if you're at the stage where you are still kind of in the need to work on your own than seeking a community because you quote should might actually be harmful, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're not actually ready to, to engage with others. Um, But I also think it's important to work in community because it helps you get out of your own perspective, regardless of what your medium is, right? Because once you go deep into one area of creating, 
let's say it's writing and you're writing about like you write about food, let's say, right? Mm-hmm. You, your blinders, your biases will come up and you might actually not have the same perspective as somebody who's from the outside. And mm-hmm. so I think in that way, working in community is really important because you can kind of reflect to each other um, the things that might be gaps or the things that might, you know, need a new perspective. And when people say that you create in community, oftentimes the image is that you're sitting and you're working together. So you're in the same studio or you're in the writer's group or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I think that working in community as creatives is more expansive than that. You know, I'm the kind of person, like, I actually cannot work alongside other people. I'm very mm-hmm. easily distracted. I have never been successful in, like, a study group or a working group or anything like that. So what does working in community look like for me who can't physically work alongside other people, right? Mm-hmm. To me, that means amplifying other creatives' work supporting their journeys, supporting the work that they're doing and them in kind doing that for me. So there are ways that you can engage with your creative community and benefit from that um, without having to actively work with them. Uh, Collaborating with others uh, is a really powerful way to be creative in community. And in my experience, it has only amplified and enhanced the work that I was doing when I've partnered with somebody who is doing something similar. Yeah, I think that it, you said something really important there, and that is, you know, uh, working in a community, it can mean different things. And and I know that a lot of people that I work with in my membership, in my writing membership, they don't like to share their work because they're quite scared mm-hmm. of sharing their writing. And, and I think that just them turning up for live writing hours is enough for them. Just the fact that they can just be surrounded by other people doing the same thing and they don't want to share and there's no compulsion to share. But I think just that ability to turn up and know that other people are doing something similar also helps them. And I myself, I mean, initially when I started writing and doing stuff on Instagram, I did literally think that I I wasn't ready. Like you said, you're not always ready and you need to, you know, you need to trust your intuition on that one as well, because sometimes as a creative, you're not ready and it's great to actually just reach out to other people and work with them or, you know, like you said, in, that's a really excellent advice that you said was to like actually amplify other people's work that inspires you and, you know, you connect with them in a different way. So I think that's brilliant suggestions. Um, so one of the questions I want to ask you is, great, so, you know, say that people are ready to, uh, you know, communicate with their community to be a part of it and where being in a community starts to enhance your creativity, helps to get feedback and, you know, sort of uh, just a bit of camaraderie. What do you do when the sort of negative sides of being in community come out, like, you know, comparison, envy, um, you know, imposter syndrome when other people around you are maybe better than you? How does one, you know, emotionally cope with that? And what's the best sort of boundaries that you can put on yourself when it's confronted with something like that? You know, the most important thing when we experience uh, like an intense or what is a quote negative emotion, when it comes to this, like you talked about jealousy, I think is a big one. Comparison is a big one. Imposter syndrome. Those are the three themes that often come up. And the first thing I always say, and the most important thing to do when you recognize this is to accept the fact that these emotions are normal and they are part of the human experience. 
We suffer greatly when we try to retaliate against an emotion that is coming up naturally. So what is helpful is the important distinction is you can feel the negative emotion, right? You can feel Mm -hmm. jealous and that's okay, but you're accountable for your actions, Mm -hmm. right? So you can't control your feelings. You cannot just squish down jealousy or imposter syndrome that is just being triggered for you inside. There's just no way to stop that. What you do have control over is how you act after that, right? Mm -hmm. So a lot of people feel a very intense shame about jealousy. Like jealousy is a very, very shamed emotion in our culture and our society. And so what happens is people try to suffocate it by pushing it away, swiping it under the rug, and that it just continues to grow. It becomes more solid. It becomes, it becomes, it transforms into other things, right? Like resentment Mm -hmm. and then it translates into your action of like maybe, you know, doing something to put somebody else down or, you know, mm-hmm. behavior that indicates and reflects that you're feeling that way that is intentionally or unintentionally harming the other person. Yeah. So, but if we can accept it, if we can name it, if we can say, you know what, I am feeling jealous right now of that creator, that will immediately release the pressure inside of you because now you don't have the added pressure to hide it from yourself. Yeah. Once you do identify that there is this like powerful negative emotion happening inside of you, depending on the emotion, there's different things that you do because there is no one way to deal with these things. Um, The only common thread across all of these difficult emotions is this idea to name and label your emotion yeah. So that you can actually start working through it with, with comparison, for example, right? That the, the way to kind of navigate through comparison is to A, take stock of the things that you have done and really, really build the skill of focusing on your, like your wins, celebrating them, even if they're small, because that boosts your, again, your resilience. Um, another way to kind of navigate through comparison is upwards comparison, which is looking to see what in this person's story or art or place in life inspires you so that you can try to work on how you can kind of add that to your own life. Mm-hmm. You know, comparison or comparing yourself to another person is an indication of what you feel is missing in your life. Yeah. Right. So becoming curious about that and thinking about like, okay, like that person has X thing. I'm feeling like I'm not good enough because I don't have it. That means this is what I want, right? I, there's some aspect of their life that I want. And so that you can use that to build goals for yourself and, mm-hmm. and really work on this upward comparison inspired mindset. With jealousy, it's the same thing, right? Like there's something happening in this other person's life that you want. And so how can you bring that into your life? How can you turn it? So that it becomes something that you can feel inspired by instead of feeling down about. And with imposter syndrome, which is also really common, um, that that is um, it's something that has like deeper roots. It's not just about like what's missing in your life. Um, so with imposter syndrome, it's really working on your self self esteem, your self worth, focusing on the things that are working for you, the things that you're good at, the things that bring you joy. And really rooting yourself in your in your strengths mm-hmm. and even transforming your areas of weakness into again, like these areas that you can grow in. So if you kind of 
summarize these three things, it's kind of like having a growth mindset. How can I utilize these difficult emotions to grow as a creator? And what is the message that they're giving me? And, And if you can kind of tap into that energy and have this growth mindset, even these difficult emotions will not overwhelm you or bring you down. Um, but the process of naming it and labeling it and accepting it is the hard piece. So yeah, you, have to, you have to feel your feelings. You have to be, you have to feel, if you feel crummy, like if you feel like down, like let yourself feel it for at least a day or two so that it comes out of your body. Yeah. I love that. I think that just is fantastic advice, Isra, because I think that a lot of people, I mean, including myself, you know, I have a lot of imposter syndrome and, and sometimes I compare and, and I, I have started to be a little bit more intentional about naming and shaming it because I always used to just have this I would just hold on to it and not acknowledge I was going through it. And then the pain of it, it just lasts so much longer. And you don't actually find any resolution from it. It keeps coming back to bite you. So so when you actually start to say, hey, I know I'm being jealous and I know I'm comparing. You know what? I'm going to sit with this for a couple of days and I'm going to come back to it. And I'm going to do something. I'm going to figure out what it is that I can do to to kind of get to this place when this person is. But from from my story because I also have something to say. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's, I get, I, th- I think that's it. So, well, well, that was really helpful advice. And, you know, before before we go, I'd, I'd love to ask you if there's any kind of practical guidance that you would offer creators of any kind, um, you know, when working with community, what sort of mindset they should come to when they approach a community setting to work on their creativity? I think that, you know, creative people can be very protective of their ideas. Mm -hmm. I see this in the entrepreneur, like startup world as well. So people are really like cagey about sharing. (laughs) But the thing that I always like to remind people is, of course, you want to protect your, you know, your work and, you know, you want to have boundaries about who you share with, how much you share, but always ground yourself in the reality that, the only person who can do really excellent justice to this thing that you're working on is likely you because you are the one who birthed this idea, right? Yeah. And, the, and the insight and the passion and everything that comes along with the person who has created the idea cannot be replicated just because somebody else knows about your idea. So if you can yeah. have this like abundance mindset of working with others and and kind of being open to sharing, of course, with limitations because you don't want to overshare. Yeah. Um, be open to sharing, be open to receiving. And this idea that, you know, we all rise when the tide rises. I think that changes the energy when mm-hmm. you are working with an entity. And to that, I would also add that you want to, kind of, you want to be able to make sure that you're not missing out on anything that your instinct is kind of telling you. So you want to be connected to your instinct around working with other people because not everybody can work well together, right? So you don't want to push yourself to be like, I got to collaborate because I have to be this open-minded abundance mindset person, but really your instinct is giving you some red flags about them. So there has to be this balance between having this openness, but also being connected to yourself 
so that you are not abandoning yourself. And that is a trial and error process that everybody has to go through, myself included, right? Mm -hmm. And if you can make sure that you have a practice of journaling or meditation or something that gives you a reflection, like an internal reflection, moments of internal reflection, so that you are really self-aware as you enter this community, so that you have the right boundaries, so that you're not oversharing, but you're also not too, you know, closed and guarded so that you can actually get the benefits of the community. So I would say it's like this two-step thing. Focus on your internal self-reflections, learn your emotions, learn how to label them, learn how to regulate and self-soothe, but also go into a community with a very balanced approach, right? Have an open mind and trust yourself as you work alongside other people. Thank you. That's excellent advice. Thank you so much. Um, and before we go, I'd love for our listeners to just know how they can work with you and what kind of guidance do you offer and services do you offer if anyone wanted to reach out to you? Yeah, so I am working in New York State. And by regulations, I can only work with folks who are in New York State who live mm -hmm. there. Uh, so that kind of really limits the number of people I can work with. But outside of that, um, I do host these like quarterly workshop series that are like one, two or three parts that are deep dives into something very specific. Uh, and that's open to everybody. You could be anywhere in the world and you can access that. You can join that. Um, and you can get those updates from my website. So I have a newsletter that goes out quarterly. And so everything that I'm kind of up to will be there. I, in in September, October, I am hosting uh, like a two-part series on being the eldest daughter of an immigrant mm -hmm. household and what that brings to like, you know, your mental health and sense of identity. So if there's any elder daughters listening, definitely uh, <laughs> check out my website for the information on that. And then there's always Instagram, right? I love yep. connecting with people on Instagram. People send me DMs with requests for content that they'd like to see. While I don't give any advice on Instagram, I'm always open to hearing what you have to say. And if there's any content I can make based on that, I, I always do try to do that. Thank you so much. And I will be sharing Isra's details in the show notes, her website, her uh, Instagram handle. So do get in touch with her and do check her out because uh, I absolutely think everything she puts out there is really insightful and great, uh, great to read all the time. So thank you so much, Isra, for joining us today. That was such an incredible conversation. And thank you for sharing your time. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to The Craft with me, Sumaya. If you'd love to learn more about me, my website is sumayaosmani.com. And while you're there, check out Kissa, my writing membership, where you can find flow and flourish as a writer. Inside Kissa is a thriving community of inspiring writers, monthly writing hours, and nourishing and nurturing chapters to see you grow each month and find your true potential as a writer. Doors to Kissa open four times a year, so if you join the waitlist, you'll be the first to know when the doors open. The link is in the notes below. 
You can also follow me on Instagram at Sumaya Osmani and send me a message to let me know if you enjoyed this podcast. So, until the next episode of The Craft, stay curious.